Hello, listeners. My name is Tashara, and welcome to another episode of the LSE Focal Point podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Kim Morgan Villac. Kim is Unilever's Chief, Chief Business Integrity Officer. She joined the company in 2014 and has previously worked for Morgan Stanley, Barclays, GE Money, and Marks and Spencers. She holds a law degree from Liverpool John Moores University. Kim, how are you doing today? Hi, hello. Hi, nice to meet you. Likewise. So, Kim, let's kick off and talk a little bit about you. Could you tell us more about your journey from studying law and uh, working as legal counsel at various organizations to now acting as the Chief Business Integrity Officer at Unilever? I didn't come into law as a first role, so that's probably slightly different to what you would expect to hear from from me. Um, I left school at 16 and I did hairdressing for a very short period of time. And then I became a secretary and I did that for 12 years. And during that 12 years, I studied part-time, did my A-levels, did my law degree. I started part-time and then uh, finished that full-time, went to the College of Law, um, and then was eventually admitted as a solicitor in 2000. Wow, that's actually a really interesting and unique journey. So what is it that drew you to your current role in particular? As the Chief Business Integrity Officer, do you mean? Indeed, yep. Yeah, so I um, I was offered the role of the Chief Business Integrity Officer at Unilever, and I had previously done the general counsel role in Africa, and I was looking to move out of the region, and I wanted to have more access to Unilever's board and to our Unilever executive, and this role, being a global role, gave me that opportunity, and therefore sort of my stakeholder management was very different to what it had been in the past, and it gave me uh, the opportunity to work with our most senior leaders in the business. Definitely. And I'm, I'm sure that no two days are alike for you in this role. But could you tell us more about what a typical day would sort of look like for you? Yeah, the Chief Business Integrity Officer role covers you know, a number of areas, as you would expect. So the first is around our code of conduct. Um, and that is the um, opportunity or the ability for our uh, employees to raise concerns, to speak up about things that worry them or that they see doesn't look right. Um, so that so part of the, the role is to do investigations into those concerns that are, are raised. I think very much have a, a governance role. So all the, the work that the team does, it has a governance structure into um, a global code policy committee and also into um, the board. Um, and therefore, there's a, a number of, of meetings on a day to day basis um, that prepare for those quarterly meetings. Um, and that will work, go from you know, anti-bribery and corruption risk management, um, you know, all the way through to our third-party compliance programs, which govern what our suppliers and our distributors do. Um, and then you know, the investigations work you know, underpins you know, all of that. And then very much a lot with the team. You know, I've got a team of around 60 business integrity officers. So there was a lot of leadership um, and management uh, in terms of what the team needs that I get involved with on a day-to-day basis. And Kim, you've had some really interesting experiences. And so sort of looking back on that, what is some advice that you would have given to your younger self with the knowledge that you have now? I've been very lucky in my career. I've loved all the jobs that I've done and I've you know, had great opportunities which have allowed me to do more than my core role. Um, so I don't know that I regret anything that I have done and I look back and sort of say well I wish I'd done that differently 
what you know what I've learned over the the many years of my career is that enjoying what you do is important and um you know making sure that you build the relationships because without people it's difficult really to to advance any agenda that you are are working towards um so I think that's that's what I you know the sort of advice rather than looking back on what I would I would say to to the um, the audience here today is, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing, life is very easy, um, and therefore, you know, if you if you if you're not in the right role, then you know, move, move out of it and find something else. Sometimes you just don't fit with an organisation's culture. Um, sometimes the boss that you have, it just doesn't it just doesn't work, and that's not necessarily the fault of either of the parties. But for me, it's sort of saying acknowledge that and and find something else. That's definitely some great advice. And so let's sort of talk more about the business world now, um, especially in the past year or so, there has been a lot of discussion surrounding ESG. Could you tell us more about how this is implemented at Unilever? Unilever's got a, a long established standing around sustainability. So starting with our Unilever Sustainable Living Plan, which was in place for a decade and has now been replaced with the Unilever Compass and our social commitments. So ESG really brings together a lot of the work that we were really focusing on. Um, For me, I look after the G of ESG in in my function, so the the governance of it. And what that really means is our anti-bribery and corruption program and also our speak up line. So making sure that there is organizational justice for employees to raise concerns. So on the environmental and the climate, um, there are a number of pieces of legislation that are coming down the line, and therefore we are having to adjust some of the things that we do to meet those. But it's sort of not a a start from zero for for Unilever because we have had such a a focus on this for many, many years. Internally, we we have a, a group of people that work together, so the the legal team um, from the corporate centre, so the team that look after sort of all our reporting and our employment employment matters, as well as business integrity, and then the supply chain um, legal counsel. So we sort of have a, a tripartite relationship where we're looking at sort of ESG together um, to see how we implement that across the company. Right, and. You know, um, there has been a lot of public awareness as well, not just within companies about ESG. And, you know, what do you think are sort of the forces that have catalyzed this increased awareness? So climate concerns is is top of the top of the list. And, you know, there's still a a lag behind what is really needed to to stop um, the climate change. Um, so I think that that there is certainly more public awareness around the risks involved in just increasing temperatures. Um, I think shareholders and investors um, demand that now from companies. They demand that sort of social um, commitment. So I think that the external influences are driving it. And also companies have recognised that there is a need for them to be more responsible. And certainly, you know, that shift you've seen in the past 10 years, you know, in comparison to 20 years ago, where perhaps companies weren't so responsible um, around these types of issues. Great. And, and, you know, previously you mentioned some of the really great things that were being done to further ESG efforts at your own company, but just sort of in a more general sense, what more do you think needs to be done by other corporations in order to further ESG? 
I believe that stretching targets, ambitious targets are, are necessary. And it's it's better to have stretching targets that you fall short of than more modest targets that you meet. Um, so there was that that bravery, that intention that organizations, you know, need to um, come to the table with and say, well, you know, what are, what are we going to stand for as an organization? What is our contribution? Because although it may be small, you know, if there's millions of companies doing small things, it, the scale of it then is quite quick to see. Um, so I think it's not necessarily that everybody has to do big things if you're a small company. I think it's for every company to do something. Um, and then where you do have the scale that you leverage that. I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I definitely agree with that. Um, so sort of like shifting the focus right now, you've had um, you know, the experience of working in compliance both before, after, and during the financial crisis of 08, which is very unique. So from this, what do you think are the most important takeaways? Life is cyclical, and we, we see that. Um, and we're not as good at learning from the past as, as perhaps we, we could be. Yeah, I think in, you know, in, the, in the financial crisis, there was more of a tension between organisations and regulators. Um, and I think the, the, the way that regulation is drafted now and the way that regulation is enforced um, you know, is much, much closer alignment with businesses. So the consultation process is, is stronger um, and very much the, the lens is from the consumer. So whether that's, you know, financial advice, pensions advice, you know, mis-selling, that, that is all um, looked at from the regulator's perspective in terms of consumer harm. And I think companies have changed um, and recognised that, you know, without consumers, we, we don't really have a business and therefore keeping the consumer happy and meeting their demands um, is a different way now of, of looking at what we do. I think, you know, the customer's always sort of been at the heart of, of things when you develop a product, but sometimes perhaps in the way that you sell the product, the company's priorities and needs um, have been what takes priority rather than what the consumer might need. And that, I think, has shifted considerably in the last 10 years, and that, that's not the case today at all. Definitely a very interesting shift to my mind. And sort of another um, disruption in the industry is the emergence of technologies, specifically artificial intelligence and machine learning. So uh, particularly uh, with your business, how has it impacted business integrity and how do you see this evolving in the future? Yes, yeah, so as, a, as a lawyer, technology is not our strong point. So there's, there's room for us you know, to continue to, to learn. Um, there are there are some things that Unilever has done, particularly in our contract space. So we use artificial intelligence to do sort of word searches. We're able to um, you know streamline how we create contracts and how we update contracts by using AI. Um, we use it in our recruitment processes so in terms of initial CV um, sifting that is done through through AI. Um, but technology based more really in our manufacturing operations where we do use um, robots to do some of our repetitive work in our factories. So that is, um, you know, been a, a big change for us um, over the, the last years. Definitely very interesting. And, you know, sort of looking at how COVID-19 has disrupted the business environment, what is the role that business integrity plays in our recovery process? 
We have a, a code of policy on occupational health and safety, um, and therefore breaches of any occupational health and safety uh, rule will be investigated by the business integrity team. Um, and we introduced protocols in our, in our factories during uh, the pandemic, um, which ensured that our staff were safe. So depending on where you were in the world, would depend on you know the protocols in your factory but on a general basis it's what we've all now become to know is that you know you come in um, you have your temperature checked you maintain social distancing um, you know if you have traveled then you um, quarantine um, and therefore where employees you know come in and they may not declare uh, the accurate position um, that sometimes is, is a code breach and what we wanted to make sure was that people were treated um, fairly when this change was happening. So it takes a while for behaviour to change um, when there are new protocols in place. So we wanted to um, make sure that people understood what those requirements were before they were held accountable too quickly on them. So the business integrity team you know, spent a, a lot of time ensuring that um, where cases were brought that that fairness and consistent treatment of employees happened whilst protecting obviously the safety of others where somebody who potentially was infected would come into the factory when um, when we wouldn't when you wouldn't want that um, so very very important sort of topic for us but also on the on the now returning to work phase we're focusing on the culture of coming back to the office. We have a, um, a principle that people should come to the office on average about two days a week. Uh, we have a, um, a commitment that our employees should be vaccinated. And from a cultural perspective, um, that can create difficulties. And therefore we want to make sure that people are not you know, victimized or harassed in any way because they've made a choice about a vaccine for personal reasons or for whatever reason they may decide they want to come to the office more or less. Um, and that we don't want people to be um, disrespected in any way because of those choices that they that they make. Yeah, definitely a very challenging balance to strike. Um, and, you know, we sort of discussed a little bit earlier about how legislation has been evolving. And with regards to the rules and standards that are currently in place to promote business integrity, do you think that there are any new methods that organisations should adopt to better encourage compliance? starts with people so if you have a commitment to the well-being of your people then that does you know include um, having a, a code of conduct the, in Europe particularly um, the whistleblowing directive now you know mandates for member states that that um, whistleblowing infrastructure is, is set up for a company like Unilever you know all of that is is standard and has been standard for for many years but that will that will raise the the standard for um for Europe certainly for you know mandating that that organizations you know have that ability for people to to know that when they come into work that they're safe so that they can speak up about things that they believe are wrong and also to recognize that if something is happening to them um, they have a safe space where they can report that without fear of retaliation. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, kind of bearing in mind everything we've spoke about uh, today, just to wrap things up, is there any advice that you would like to give to university students? I touched upon this a little bit earlier, but, you know, the world is, 
is so different outside of university and almost university is your your last time of of having the freedom of being able to study but also to be able to have the social life um and so so embrace it and and enjoy it um it's important for you to get the results that you you need for your your life ahead um but actually you know having the the balance of the social life with the study and building those long-term relationships is is so much part of 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 university life so i would you know encourage everybody to to remember that you know university has two parts to it um but also to um leverage those relationships that that you've built while you're at university and and people will go into so many you know different roles and you know i find that a lot of people reach out to me for advice and help um, which i always willingly give and therefore if i ever need help i've got a whole pool of people that i can reach out to for help and advice so having that sort of ecosystem um starts at at university but you know putting putting yourself out there to to help people certainly you know works well so you know what you what you give is what you get and i i very much believe in that oh, that's some great advice that i'm sure all of us can apply um i'm sure that our listeners appreciate your insights and can take a lot away from this episode it has been a pleasure having you here today and thank you for taking the time to speak with us and thank you to our audience for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come thank you